0: Welcome to the Soybean Pod, brought to you by South Dakota soybean farmers and their checkoff. I'm Tom Stever, discussing the incredible soybean, the people who grow it, and why that crop is so important. Incentives abound to conserve soil and water. Kurt Stiefotter's incentives range from getting the best crop that he can to propping up grazing resources to preserving a farm legacy. It's made possible for the Salem, South Dakota farmer partly through the South Dakota Soil Health Coalition and a smartphone and PC application called Growing Connections. Stiefotter grows soybeans, corn, oats, wheat, and alfalfa and maintains a cow-calf operation. Steve Potter, what drove your interest in soil health improvement and conservation?
1: I got started about 12 years ago with just looking to change our operation to more utilize the soil and figure out how we can manage our moisture situation, either excessive, but most of the time it's we're short of rainfall to reach a maximum crop. So I got into a three-way rotation of corn, soybeans, and a small grain of either oats or wheat. Long came with that as understanding the soil and getting a different crop rotation in there for weed control, but really like the health benefits that came with that rotation. And it seemed like our yields maybe kind of plateaued a little bit and looked to improve that and went the soil health direction.
0: Where are you on the tillage spectrum? In other words, are you minimum till, no till? Where is that?
1: Uh, I'm 100% no till. I've done some no-till for over 25 years, but now about the last seven, eight years, been 100% no-till.
0: How's that working?
1: Good. Really good. I like that aspect to save the trips across the field, reduce my costs for using the equipment and fuel usage, things like that. Kind of a -a one-and-a-half-man show. Had my daughters and some other part-time help. That help throughout the year and some neighbors. But otherwise I do most of myself on about 1,800 acres of crop ground. So try and maximize my time that way and not doing extra duties.
0: Building soil health, of course, can be a kind of a slow process, Kurt. What are the results of what you've been doing to improve soil health?
1: I've changed the weed spectrum a little bit by having a crop rotation. The weeds do not mature at the same time with your different rotations. So you can kind of break up your weed spectrum a little bit. Being able to capture and hold the moisture, eliminating a lot of erosion from the wind water, just keeping the soil where it belongs. I use the cover crops after my small grain, and that is a majority of it for my livestock feed for the winter. I get it out there growing, and then they can use that for winter feed. Don't have to spread the manure, let the livestock do that. Get a little spring green up there with some of my cover crops to protect it in the spring, even from the wind and water in the spring. I've cut my fertilizer use down probably close to 25%. I only have about 0.7 pounds of nitrogen that I apply per bushel, cutting my P and K rates also, I'm letting the soil biology work for me to release those nutrients that are already in my soil.
0: I want to talk about cover crops. What is your overall strategy for use of cover crops? Talk about that.
1: A lot of it is for my livestock feed, is that they really need that part for soil protection, wind and rain protection. Just having various roots, various plants, using the turnips and radishes, sunflowers in my mix to help keep the soil mellow, have that penetration to work with the earthworms and stuff to keep it porous and build that soil structure. Some of the other ones with flax and clover, things like that, and the other small grains. Changing that plant diversity part, just think that really helps build soil structure and helps weather the storms, I guess, with the variety of weather we have here in South Dakota, from freezing and heavier rain events and the dryness.
0: Talk about how that changes from season to season. In other words, do you have cover crop plans that are seasonal for you?
1: I haven't done any full season cover crops, say where you plant them in uh, May or June, and then maybe graze them with livestock. Mine is mostly after the small grain. Say I plant them in August or September, get them growing before freeze up. And I just change my mixes a little bit according to the probably the amount of moisture and when they get planted. Whether the plants will give me enough return or growth before freeze up in the mixture of maybe what that field needs, try and get some other maybe legumes in there a little more. Or if it's a little more highly erodible soil to get some more solid cover on that. So that's how I kind of change my mixes up according to the soil and season.
0: What are your plans for cover crop planting for the fall?
1: I haven't done any yet just because we're dry. I'm waiting for a little more moisture. Last year was a little tough, too. I didn't get very much growth. I'll put in a mixture of turnips and radishes, probably some winter wheat, sunflowers, clover, flax, sorghum, sedan. Trying to get a good growth out there and mixture for livestock feed. The wildlife really like it too. They seem to move in there too. That's another part of using cover crops and small grain. I think we've really helped our small bird populations and even the other wildlife deer can prosper too.
0: It sounds like you're doing a lot of good. You mentioned that you're waiting for some moisture and also that you plant maybe August, September at least before the freeze. But What are the other factors that play into when you plant fall cover crops?
1: Just after I get my small grain harvested, figuring out the right mixture for the year. Just a lot of want to build that soil health, keep a plant growing there as many months out of the year as it can. Um, There's usually not too big a turnaround after harvest. But just a lot of it, try and keep a living root in the soil all the time to capture the carbon from the air and put it in the soil, build that soil structure. And also then you're also given it protection from wind and rain.
0: Kurt, what's your connection to South Dakota Soil Health Coalition?
1: I've just got involved about seven, eight years ago. As I've worked on this journey to improve my soils, just stay involved. I've hosted the Soil Health School at my farm for two years and just really learned a lot from Activities like that that the Soil Health Coalition puts on, and awesome events that they have throughout the year to keep educating people, offering opportunities to learn.
0: In that, you also make use of the Growing Connections app. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, the Growing Connections app. You can uh, either do it on your desktop or on your phone. It's just a great way to join with that app. And if you have questions about soil health, You can get involved, present those questions to other farmers, specialists in the field, NRCS people are all in there. Just give you a chance to ask questions, make a discussion group in there, use it for narrowing down your search or presenting it to certain people or whatever. And maybe an area of the state that more fits to your question and take pictures and share that, get answers about it. Just a lot of creating a good network of farmers, agronomists, and other soil health experts that can maybe solve your question, create more discussion.
0: Well, it's obviously a good way to make connections in the soil health community. But where the rubber meets the road, Kurt, how does it help you in soil health improvement?
1: Well, I get to see the discussions that are going on and maybe some things I hadn't thought of can open up my eyes to use those thoughts and implement them in my farm operation. There's a lot of knowledge out there, we just got to tap into it. No use making a mistake when it could be answered that somebody else has already done, and you can avoid that mistake and keep moving forward in a more positive direction.
0: Exactly. You mentioned that you have daughters that help on the farm. What are your long-term goals for passing on this farming legacy?
1: Well, I hope maybe one or two of my daughters may come back to the farm or someone else comes along that's interested in farming and will work to see the same practices that I'm doing to carry on that and leave the farm in a better way than when I've got it. I think I'm doing that, but looking to work somebody into the farming situation and hopefully pass it on to them.
0: What generation are you on this particular farm?
1: Uh, I'm the fourth generation, trying to keep building history, but keep improving it along the way also.
0: And it sounds like your daughters are at least somewhat interested in the farm and preserving that legacy that you have. Can you put your finger on anything that you have done over the years, Kurt, that have resulted in your daughters taking an interest in the farm, how you have them involved, or did it just happen through osmosis?
1: Uh, I want to get involved. They're in the day-to-day activities from helping plant, spray, really working with the livestock, walking through with them, explaining things as we go or why I'm doing it. I think they've taken interest in that. The broad scope that FFA is now, Future Farmers of America programs are now, they've just opened up a lot of the science end of it, too. And I think that's kind of where they like to see that science and do the research and see it applied on our farm, actually, some of the activities that are done.
0: It sounds like it's not only in your own hands as far as getting that next generation interested in the farm, but also depending somewhat on the education system for uh, preserving and continuing that interest.
1: Yes, I think we need to support those educational opportunities for our young people and to grow their knowledge in it, let them experience it. It's probably the biggest thing, do the hands-on activities and You'll see that it is a great life to uh, be involved with. There's a lot of opportunities out there that you can uh, work with the land or livestock and a lot of spin-off industries from that.
0: Sure. Getting that next generation involved, Kurt, how much does that play into your commitment to soil health practices?
1: I think it plays a great deal of wanting to pass it on. I believe in what I'm doing, that it's for the better long-term health of the soil and productivity. And I think we can uh, just learn with our better knowledge that we're learning about soils now, that we can do things now necessarily with conventional tillage and different management styles to create long productivity for our soils and be environmentally friendly at the same time.
0: Kurt, you mentioned earlier that you're hoping, of course, for the best for this particular growing season. Tell me about that season and how it's going.
1: Uh, We started out pretty dry. Got a little bit of rain there about planting time in May. Then we just had some good timely rains to keep our crop growing along. I would say our yields are probably just going to be average for the corn and soybeans right now. The Boat's yield was down a little bit, got a little too dry for that, but I think we'll have about average yields, probably being around that 150 bushel corn and 35-40 for soybeans. Maybe a little better on the soybeans. They seem like they're hanging in there pretty good for as dry as it is. We're getting a little short on our pasture ground. The grass is not hanging in there as well, short of moisture that way, but it's not a catastrophe or by any means, so we'll call it a success.
0: A lot of people I talk to often cite August rains for getting soybeans over the top, so to speak. How did that go for you?
1: Um, we did catch some probably about two and a half inches of rain throughout August, so that's why I think they're helping hang in there pretty good. should be a nice enough crop. Hopefully it finishes strong yet.
0: Kurt, those are the questions I have. Is there anything that I may have left out that you'd like to add to this?
1: I just think we got to keep thinking long term for our benefits of our soils and stuff. I'm not negative on previous generations. I just think they worked with what they had at the time. We can reduce our input costs because I think our margins are going to get tighter yet and keep building our soil not letting it erode escape away and erode with wind and water and keep the things that we fertilizers and chemicals that we do put on our land and keep them on our land so they aren't moving i know it doesn't fit for everybody or they don't think it fits for their operation but i think they can implement parts of either no-till or cover crops just a different mindset to think for soil health practices
0: Kurt Stiefutter is a fourth-generation farmer at Salem, South Dakota. The Soybean Pod, available wherever you get your podcasts, is brought to you by South Dakota Soybean Farmers and their Checkoff. I'm Tom Stever.